glad to have you with us for our Sunday school hour. Um, man, it's been a been a good week. Uh, Lord's really done some things, and going to ask the church to pray about a property that we uh, looked at recently and waiting to hear back from the owner of that property. Uh, it has sat for quite a few years, so we're praying that they're somewhat motivated. Um, but uh, the uh, property itself would be about two and a half times the space that we have between upstairs and downstairs right now. So just if you would pray about that, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, John chapter number two, and we're going to get into a, a, a conversation, a subject, if you will, uh, that I think is probably a con- uh, little um, controversial uh, for some. And um, let me just say this much, though. Uh, if you believe God's word, once it's presented, there really shouldn't be a controversy. All right. That, the hard part is just getting over the fact that, well, I've got my thoughts about it. I got my preferences and I've got my prejudices and I've got things that I've heard before. And, you know, uh, here, here's this. Here's one. And this is not what we're going to look at this morning. Um, but uh, I, I know for years it was taught that if you're saved and you're born again, uh, unclean spirits, they can't affect you. They can't touch you, so on and so forth. How many of you guys ever heard that before? All right. Well, biblically, uh, and just, just uh, there's a lot of uh, passages we could look at, but Acts chapter 5 talks about it. We mentioned this Wednesday night. Um, you, can be, uh, you can allow Satan to fill your heart to lie the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Those were believers, weren't they? Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, and so there are things that we think, and, and you kind of take it as gospel truth. Maybe you've heard it in church for years. And you go, oh, that must be true. Uh, here's one. And I actually like this statement, but it's not necessarily biblical, okay? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Book, chapter, and verse. Right? right? Like, I, I like that idea. I do personally. I don't like, you know, being around dirty things. But at the same time, that's not scripture. And so uh, there are, are uh, things that you hear often um, that you automatically say, well, that must be true because I've heard it for so many years. Um, he, here's another one. Uh, John chapter 3, where it says a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. How many of you ever heard that that water was baptism? Anybody? All right. Well, that's tradition. That's not Bible. Uh, In the passage, in the context of Scripture, it's very clear. And yet, one of the most controversial subjects, doctrinally speaking, is the subject of baptism. So there's controversy there when there should not be. Because in the passage, it tells you that that water is a natural birth, all right? So, so if we look at the scriptures and look at the context and see what God says about something, uh, then we should go, okay, if that's what God says, then that thing is true, amen? That, okay, I got two of you, amen, all right. I, I can already tell this is going to be fun. Buckle up, everybody, here we go. Uh, John chapter number two, John chapter two, going to read a couple of verses here. And the third day, verse one There was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciple of the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants. And by the way, one of the greatest pieces of advice that you could ever take from anybody in the Bible actually comes from Mary. You know what she says? Whatever he says, do it. Amen. Look what it says there in verse 5. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And verse 6 says, And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, if you're like, I don't know what a firkin is. Don't worry, you're not alone. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fill the blank, uh, fill in the blanks on that. Uh, verse 7, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine the water that was made wine and we're going to you know kind of kind of explore this subject what exactly took place in this miracle go down to verse 11 verse 11 says this beginning of miracles did jesus in cana of galilee so his first public miracle is turning water into wine and i I, what we're going to kind of explore is what exactly took place when jesus did that what when it says the water was turned into wine, what exactly is he talking about? Um, because I will tell you that a, a lot of people kind of go off the rails on this subject. And, and usually here's where it starts. And, and bear with me. I've, I've gone to uh, 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 shelters uh, where there's a lot of folks that struggle with alcoholism. I've talked to people on the street. I've dealt with Christians for years. 
And in my experience, someone could never have read the Bible. But when, once you talk about anything to do with alcohol, they'll go, oh, oh, Jesus, turn water into wine. And so what I'd like to do is bring a little bit of clarity to that subject as we're delving into John chapter number 2. Brother Tim, if you would, uh, open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Now keep your hand here in John 2. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and there's a reason we're going here. It has nothing to do necessarily with the subject matter that we're going to dive into, but there's a principle that I want to kind of revisit, and I mentioned this just a few minutes ago. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and look if you would at verse 16. Question before you read the verse. um, How many of you know that there is debate over whether or not Jesus Christ is actually God? All right. There's a lot of debate over that. Some people say, yes, he is God. And some people say, no, he's not. Some people would say, yes, he is. Uh, Some would say, well, he's a good prophet, but he's not necessarily God. Uh, We've got some neighbors across the street, and I've got nothing against the folks across the street. Uh, They've been very kind to us. They've actually sent gifts our way before, uh, the Muslim uh, group over here. Uh, But you know what they believe? They believe that Jesus Christ was a prophet, but they do not believe that he's God. All right, so there is controversy. There is debate over whether or not Jesus Christ is God. Now, I want you to look at the first couple words in verse number 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know what it says there in three words? And without what? In other words, God says there's no debate in my mind. If there's a debate in your mind, that's your fault. All right. In other words, God's saying, hey, there's no controversy here unless you want to make one. Uh, The only time controversy comes up when an authority is already established what something is, is when someone does not want to accept the authority of that individual. Does that make sense? You, you go, listen, you parents go home and say, I want you to clean up your room. There's no controversy about what you said. Now, there may be controversy about whether they clean the room. Amen. And, and therein lies the issue. It's an issue of authority. And so when we look at the Bible, any subject in the Bible, doesn't matter what the subject is. All right. When you look at the Bible and you go, OK, this is what God's word says. This is what God's word is teaching me. At that moment in time, if there is a controversy, it is not God's fault. Amen. It's on me at that point, right? So, so that said, I understand the subject we're going to look at is, is controversial. I understand why it's controversial, uh, and, and I'm not teaching it. Look, you do not go to a church that likes to put out stuff on YouTube to be controversial, all right? That's not what we're about here. My job is not to get uh, people to follow me on YouTube. My job is to minister the people that God has brought to this church. That's my job. And as I minister unto you, the Bible says when, when Paul is saying goodbye to the, the elders of Ephesus, he gives them some warnings. He says, look, there's going to be grievous wolves that enter into the flock from among you. Watch out for that. He also says this, I shun not to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, I didn't hold back truth in your life just because I thought it might be controversial. Do you know what's going on in a lot of Christianity today? We're not going to touch that subject. We're not going to touch that subject. When it comes to you know, sexuality, don't talk about that. In terms of marriage, don't talk about that. When it comes to raising kids, don't do that because, man, you don't want to talk about I've learned this right now. Americans have a problem with you talk about their kids when you talk about, you know, uh, uh, how a society looks at things sexually uh, and, and about money. Those three things, man, you talk about those three things, you are in trouble with a lot of congregations in America today. I am glad to pastor a group of people that want truth more than they just want me to tickle their ears. I appreciate that. And in light of that, it's my job to tell you, here's what God says about X, whatever the subject is. And today we're looking at the subject of Jesus turning water into wine. What exactly was that? Now, at the forefront of this, I know some of you already know this, so maybe review for some of you. You have to establish that the Bible is the actual authority here. Not church history, not theologians, not the preacher, but what does God say on the subject? And when you delve into the Bible, all right, what you learn is this. The Bible will talk about two kinds of wine, all right? It'll talk about uh, old wine. 
it'll talk about new wine. And you got you to delineate between, the difference, uh, between those two things. Here's what I learned a long time ago. A man that taught me the Bible said, um, every bad thing is a good thing twisted. Yeah. And I believe for the most part, that's a good rule of thumb. Uh, when it comes to a lot of the perversion that's out there today, do you know what? God, listen, God gave the physical act of marriage. I'll leave it at that. We got mixed company as a beautiful thing between a man and a woman. The world has defiled it and made it perverted. But it doesn't take away from it being a beautiful thing that God himself gave to mankind. So it's a, a, a good thing that has been twisted and turned into something vile and ugly. All right, That's because of the abuse of the truth that God gave us. When it comes to this subject, it really is no different. You have to establish, though, this. The Bible talks about two kinds of wine, old wine and new wine. Now, before I get into it, what most Christians, I think, at least conservatively would say is it's okay to drink socially as long as you don't get drunk. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even going to comment on that yet. I'm just going to say that's where I think most people today are. If you're on the conservative side of things, that's where most people would align themselves and say, hey, it's okay to have a drink. Just don't get drunk. Um, and so we're going to explore that and kind of talk, look at what the Bible says about that entire subject. Uh, but uh, look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65. Now, um, we're going to talk about new wine, first of all. Um, and uh, look at what it says in Isaiah 65. You want to learn about what new wine is versus what old wine is. Now, anyone that ever sat through our teaching on the difference between the Lord's Supper and maybe the Mass or uh, you know, what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper, you, you might remember some of these verses from that. Uh, but look at Isaiah 65, and look, if you would, at verse number 8. Isaiah 65, verse number 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the... What are the next two words? As the new wine is found in the what? A cluster of what? Grapes. All right, so, you, so as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one say, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so on and so forth. So here's the first thing you learn. Very simple, very simple concept. New wine is a reference to that which is just juice from the grape, all right? It, it, it's, it's basically that which is taken directly from the grape and pressed into a cup. Look at Genesis chapter number 40. Genesis chapter number 40. Now, let me say this. Um, I have spent a lot of time talking to people and helping people who have come out of issues with alcoholism. So I, I will be transparent with you, and I will tell you uh, that uh, I'm coming at this from maybe a different perspective than some others. The perspective I'm coming from is I've seen the damage that this stuff does in people's lives. And let me say this as well. Everyone that says it's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk, my question is, out of all the people that say that, how many of them in their lifetime have gotten drunk? The vast majority would raise their hands. So you've got to sit back and kind of go, okay, what is all this about, and how does God look at this? Uh, look at Genesis chapter number 40. Genesis 40, look if you would at verse number 10. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe what? You know what we're talking about? Look at verse 11. Read it. You know what new wine is? It's grape juice. It's basically someone taking a grape and going, squish, and there's the juice that comes out of it. It's, it's like Welch's, guys. That's pretty much what it is without some of that food coloring, right? Uh, and so... And so grape juice in its pure, or excuse me, uh, uh, new wine in its pure form is essentially just grape juice. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, since you're in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 32. So new wine is basically grape juice, and it's associated with something in the Bible called the pure blood of the grape. The pure blood of the grape. There's only one fruit in the Bible that's associated with blood at all. And it, you're going you're to learn it's the grape itself. Uh, but look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Um, now let me ask you a question. If God gives you something that's pure, uh, and then it goes into a different state, what does that tell you about the different state from whence it left? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. If something is pure, and then it changes, what does that mean? Okay. All right, look at Deuteronomy 32, look at verse number 14. Deuteronomy 32, look at verse number 14. But this is just what the Lord is, is explaining to them, that their portion, that Israel's portion would be uh, as they go into the promised land. Butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kiddies of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. You say, what did they drink? They drank grape juice. And so, so you need to understand right up front that there's a thing that's such as new wine. Look at Matthew chapter 26. 
And new wine is essentially just grape juice. Matthew chapter number 26. And Jesus speaking about how he would come back. And uh, in his kingdom, he would drink uh, a certain kind of wine. We're going to see what it says here. uh, With his disciples when he comes back. Look at Matthew 26 and look at verse number 29. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this. What are the next four words? Fruit of the vine. He's talking about drinking grape juice until that day when I drink it. What's the next word? He's talking about new wine, which is basically grape juice. So when Jesus talks about coming back in his kingdom and drinking the fruit of the vine, and we're going to learn this too in just a little bit, you're going to find that when it talks about the, the, the pure blood of the grape or new wine, it's referenced as the fruit of the vine or in the cluster of the grape. And when it's talked about in a different kind of sense, oftentimes it mentions the bottle. All right, look at Luke chapter 5 real quickly with me. Luke chapter 5. Let me show you something. Is this making sense so far? All right, look at Luke chapter number 5. And uh, this is a a parable that a lot of people don't get. And the reason we don't get is because when we think of the word bottle, we automatically think of a glass bottle. Uh, But the bottles that they drank from back then, some of them due to travel and lack of refrigeration, all that kind of stuff, were made out of animal skin. So look at Luke 5, look at verse 36. And he spake also a parable in them, No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeth not with the old. And no man putteth, what, is the, what are the next two words? New wine into old bottles. Else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. Now, what he's talking about is this. When you put the, the new wine, grape juice, into the, uh, a, an animal skin wrap, if you were the way they used to make those bottles back then, if you let it ferment, do you know what happens? It expands. That's what the fermentation process does. And so guess what would happen? It would expand to the point where when you put new wine in again, if you let it sit for too long, it'll explode the bottle. So he's, he's talking about really the, the, uh, the mixing of the old life and the new life. For sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of that. But I want to show you again, he delineates and he specifically says new wine when he's talking about grape juice. And when he's talking about something else, he uses different terms. All right. Now you go, well, then what was it in John chapter number two? Well, we're not quite there yet, but hopefully we're, we're kind of building a case. Uh, now, let me just say this. God puts a lot of warnings in the Bible about old wine and the ramifications of it. Look, if you would, at Proverbs chapter number 23, Proverbs chapter 23. So, so again, there's nothing, clearly nothing wrong uh, with, with new wine. It's basically grape juice. There's actually medicinal value in it. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 23 proverbs 23 i was talking with brother craig about this the other day there are a lot of things that are in nature uh that that grow from the ground that are good for you and there's antioxidants and minerals and vitamins and all that kind of stuff uh new wine is no exception to that uh there's there's some uh uh uh, health value in it i will also say this though for many many years people said oh man just drink drink some wine you know at night it'll be good for your heart good for this good for that a lot of doctors, when I say wine, I mean old wine. I'm talking about the fermented, the, the fermented stuff. Uh, a lot of doctors there are going, man, maybe we missed the boat on that. Maybe we were wrong about that. So, so again, you need to delineate between new wine and old wine. Look at Proverbs 23, and look, if you would, at verse number 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. Now, he's going to describe for you what kind of wine he's talking about in just a moment. Look at the rest of the verse. They that go to seek what? It's been fermented. Now we're moving into the area of alcohol. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup. You know, when you first squeeze it, it's not red. It's clear. And then over time, over fermentation, it turns a different color. All right. And by the way, what you're going to find out is that wine in the Bible, again, is a picture of this right here. It, it typifies blood. Now, let me ask you a question. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.14, that's a reference to the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. All right, so it's clear that, that his blood, matter of fact, look at Acts chapter 20. Go there real quickly. We'll come back to Proverbs 23 in a moment. But, but look, if you would, at uh, Acts chapter number 20. And what you're going to find out is that, that his blood was not like our blood. 
All right. Uh, his blood was pure, not tainted by sin, which is why when he shed his blood on the cross, it could pay for your sins. And when you, if you were to try to do that, it would do nothing at all. All right. Look at Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. And this is Paul saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. Look at Acts 20. Look at verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of who? God. All right. Now, let me say this. When you read the next statement, read the next statement, which he hath purchased with his own blood, he is a pronoun. I know we're all about pronouns these days, right? He, they, it, whatever. All right. So, so he is a pronoun that goes back, there's an antecedent in the English language, you've got a pronoun, there's always an antecedent, there's a, a noun, if you will, a title or a person that the pronoun refers to. So who's the noun, look if you would at verse number 20, that the pronoun he refers to. Feed the church of who? Is it verse 28? I'm sorry, whatever verse we were just in. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Chapter 20, verse 28. I could tell her, it's like, I did, so, I did something wrong because you're looking down, looking at me, looking down, looking at me. All right, sorry about that. Verse 28. God. God. Okay. So now we're on the It feels a lot more natural now. This is good. All right. So the antecedent is God. So let me ask you a question. How does God have blood? You know what you find out, though, all right? His blood was what? Yours isn't. You know what Bible says in Leviticus about your blood? The life of the flesh is in the blood. Uh, that's why one of the most deadly diseases is, uh, is it leukemia, the, the one that's in the blood itself? Because it transfers to all the body so quickly. All right, so, so the life of the flesh is in the blood. Our old nature, our flesh is against God. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so you know what you have? You have someone whose blood has never been tainted by sin. You, that's why when he died, he was able to rise from the dead. You can't do that on your own. The only reason we got a hope of the resurrected life is because of what he did for us, not because of what we've done. All right? And so, so this, this over here, this new wine, is a picture of pure blood. You know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of God's blood. It's a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ makes on the cross of Calvary. What about old wine? It's tainted by something. You know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of our life. It's a picture of sin. Now, you may go, well, that's a little too much. Well, let's think about this. Uh, what happens whenever fermentation takes place? Well, there's, there's this thing called yeast that gets involved. You know a little bit about that? All right, well, you know what the Bible says about that? A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Everywhere you look, the picture is this isn't a good thing. Now, go back to Proverbs 23 if, in case you're kind of like, well, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay, fine. Free country. It's America. You can believe whatever you want, but don't call yourself a Bible believer if the Bible shows you this is a dangerous thing and you go, I don't see the big deal. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 23 one more time. Proverbs chapter. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that some Christians are, excuse my language, hell-bent on trying to find that this is okay in their life, and they spend a whole lot more time studying this out than they would about soul winning right. or about rightly dividing the Word of God? Right. I, I, it's the weirdest thing. People get bent on something and go, oh, well, this is, I found this verse that Jesus turned water into wine. Well, who doesn't know that? But what did he turn into what? He turned water into wine for sure, but was it old wine or was it new wine? Look at Proverbs chapter 23 one more time, and uh, I'm going to prove to you that it could not have been, or he would have been doing something that was wrong, and I'll show you from the Bible why that is. Look at Proverbs 23, look at verse uh, 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. He says don't even look at it. So why would you drink it if he tells you not even look at it? Is, is this making any sense to anybody out there? Yeah. All right. All right, he says don't look at it when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it bieth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Now, what it goes on to describe clearly is someone who has been drunken. I, I can accept that. That is biblically sound. That's, that's contextually true. But let me ask you this. Can you get drunk if you never take a drink? You say, well, that's just your position. We're going to go to Habakkuk in a moment. You're going to see that I'm, it's not just my position. Um, look, if you would, at uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 
Uh, oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Go to, go to look at verse 35. 35. You know what thir- verse 35 describes? It describes the addicting power of alcohol. And the reason it's dangerous to dr- start drinking is because once you start and you think you have control of it, you don't always have control of it. Look at verse 35. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? In other words, look at all this terrible stuff. Verse 33, thine eyes shall behold strange women. Ladies, first off, young ladies, you don't have any business going to a club to begin with, but if a guy ever, ever tries to buy you a drink, it ain't because he wants to win you to Jesus Christ. I can tell you that. He's trying to get something out of you. Why? Because, man, you, get, you drink and kind of get loosened up. Let me ask you this. Who wants you to get loosened up and forget what's going on around you, God or the devil? Look at verse 34. Thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. And then there it is again. And at the end of that verse, I will seek it yet again. There it is. So you know what the warning is? Don't even look at it. Look at Deuteronomy 32 one more time. Let's go back there. Deuteronomy 32. Now, you, some of you don't realize my background. Man, in Puerto Rico, if there's an excuse to drink and dance, buddy, we're going to find it. So this is not a cultural, you just didn't grow up. I grew up around plenty of this stuff, which is exactly why I'm telling you, stay away from it. Well, you say, well, preacher, I think I can do it. That's between you and God. I, that, that's totally up to you, but I'm going to tell you right now, uh, you will not stand at the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord tell you, hey, why were you involved in this? And be able to say, I didn't know. You sat in church and someone opened up the Bible and showed you there's a difference between old wine and new wine. Uh, look at Deuteronomy 32. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 30. Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 30. How should one chase a thousand and two, and two put ten thousand to flight? Except their rock had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up. For their rock is not as our rock. Notice the little r and the capital R in, in verse number 31. Now look at verse 32. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom, and of the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Why are they bitter? Because they're, they're, they're no longer, you know, what, you know what's happened? They've sat, and they're fermenting. And he's telling you, that's them, this is us. There's, that, there's their rock, here's our rock. There's their wine, here's our wine. Do you see the contrast? Yeah. All right. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, Genesis chapter number 9. You say, well, I don't see the big deal. There, there's something in the Bible called the law of first mention. How many of you guys have ever heard of that before? Raise your hand. And we, this is Sunday school, so this is kind of like a Bible study. That's the intention of Sunday school, all right? The law of first mention simply means this. The first time something shows up in the Bible, more than likely it's going to be connected with the subject matter that surrounds the thing that's being talked about, all right? Uh, you could look at this in regards to marriage, in regards to children, in regards to murder, in regards to self-righteousness, with Cain being a, a, a self-righteous, and he murdered his brother. And you see that thing explained way toward the end of your Bible in 1 John, where he talks about Cain being of that wicked one. Oh, it, it relates all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. You say, what is that? It's the law first mentioned. So let's look at the first time that, that we can read about someone drinking in the Bible and see what happens. Look at Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, and look, if you would, at verse number 20. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backwards, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his what? And then read the rest of the verse. Man, I, without going into everything, and I think the Bible lays things out in a way where you can read it and still have a pure mind. But when you run the references from Genesis 9 to Leviticus, where it talks about seeing someone's nakedness and what that actually means, I can say this much. What took place in Genesis 9 was no bueno. Okay? The first time that it mentions someone drinking, here is the result. That should tell you something. That should tell you something. You go, I can do it in moderation. Okay, well, let me just ask you this. Is it new wine or old wine that God wants you to drink in moderation? Now, look, if you haven't studied it out, don't get upset with the preacher for asking the question. Which one is it? 
Uh, and what you find out is that over and over and over, when it's talking about new wine, it's something that's pressed from the grape into the cup. They didn't have Welch's and grocery stores and King Supers and you, whatever you picked from the fields, what you ate, man. And so you go out to the field, you get your grapes, you squish them, and you got wine. But it's new wine, which is vastly different than squishing it, letting it sit, watching it change its color. And now we're going to have a feast, and we're going to be involved in some debauchery, because that's what the people did back in the day, all right? Which really, you know you learn about mankind? We haven't changed a whole lot in thousands of years, really. Um, and, and so, and so here, here's my question. Here's the other one, and I'm just going to throw it out there. If you're a Christian, you go, I just do it to loosen me up a little bit. Why? Well, I've got anxiety. I'm, I'm not judging you. Listen to me very carefully. I'm not throwing stones. But do you think that maybe that's why God gave you the Spirit of God? Yeah. Like at what point in our life do we go, okay, this is something that God needs to help me with. Yeah. Not, you can feel good for a little bit by doing that. All right? There, there's medication you can take that make you feel good for a moment, but then afterwards you're dealing with other issues. And so you have to stop and go, okay, why as a believer, as a born-again spirit-filled child of God, why would I turn to this to help me get over something that I know is internally wrong with me within my spirit? So, so I, again, not throwing stones, but I do want you to consider why, why, why are we doing this? All right, now, now go back, if you would, go back to John chapter number two, and I want to point out something else. All right, so you have to delineate, first off, there's a difference between old wine and new wine. And by the way, we're going to see this as well. When the Bible says that somebody was well drunk, all right, does not mean that they were drunken, all right? The Bible uses this word, not like we do today. It uses the word drunk as in the sense of they actually drank. It would be like me saying, I have well drunk my coffee today. I've got three cups. I better well drink, amen? Mm. Praise the Lord for whatever that is. Hallelujah. All right? If I was ever like, Lord, can you make it into coffee? I want some, you know. Uh, but well drunk is not the same as drunken. The Bible uses those words very, very differently. Over in the book of Ruth, it talks about Boaz, and it says, after he had eaten well and well drunk. That doesn't mean he was drunken. That means that he ate and drank to his satisfaction, and then he went to sleep. All right? So, so this is a reference to getting out of control. This is a reference to being satisfied. You know, you, you're starting to see the picture here. When you're in the Spirit of God, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you know what you are? You are satisfied. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. He has satisfied all my longings. By his blood, I now am saved. This is satisfied. This is out of control. And over and over and over, you're going to see this constant parallel between the two. All right? Uh, look at, uh, where did I tell you to go? John chapter 2. All right, look at John chapter 2 and look at one more thing that I want to bounce back uh, to Ephesians chapter 5 in just a moment. Look at John chapter 2 and look, if you would, at verse uh, number 6. All right, verse number 6. And it says there that he, what did I do with my clicker? Brother, can you go to the next slide for me? Appreciate it. Uh, verse number 6 says this. There were set there six water pots of stone. Now, in a minute, we're going to do some math. And we're going to talk about how much water was in these water pots. All right, and when you do the math, all I'm going to say is this. If this was old wine, you talk about getting hammered. <laughs> this was enough to, like, make an entire army drunk, all right? Uh, so I, I don't, again, if you're, all, if you're all about, well, you can drink a little bit but not in excess, I don't know how you would do that with all that Jesus supplied without getting drunk, okay? Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5. We'll come back to John 2 in a little bit. Ephesians chapter number 5, and look, if you would, at verse number 18. Some of you are like, man, I could have skipped this lesson. <laughs> uh, Ephesians chapter 5, look, if you would, at verse number... Let me say this. I have the best time of my life, and I'm not getting drunk doing it. Uh, I have the best time of my life, and I'm just high on Jesus. That's all I need, man, and that's all you need, all right? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse number... Now, let me say this. If I was lost without the Lord Jesus Christ and I didn't have any thought about eternity and I didn't know anything in that book and I had no assurance of, of, of heaven, I had no peace from within and I was just living life, I absolutely would get drunk. Absolutely I would. 
Yes. Don't look at me like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. I would get hammered probably every weekend. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I know myself. I know my background. I know where I came from. I know my culture. I'd be drinking. I'd be dancing. And I probably wouldn't just be married to one woman. You guys have a hard time with that, don't you? You know what you go, oh, no, not you. You have no idea what you are capable of without God being a part of your life. I would be a stinking mess right now, and I know that. The difference between me and some other Christians, they go, well, I'd never do that. You have no idea how far you would go without the Lord. And, and what I'm getting at is this. There's something about opening this door in your life. Whenever you start, start taking things in your life that make you lose control of your faculties. Look at Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And, you know, here's what everybody asks. Is it a sin, a sin to drink alcohol? Why don't you ask this? How can you use it to be a testimony for Jesus Christ? Man, if I thought I could do that, I'd be like down the hatch. In the name of Jesus Christ, I drink this snots. I drink this uh, uh, Bacardi rum de Puerto Rico, and I, I hammer it down. In Jesus' name, amen. Who's with me? Amen, amen, amen. Right? If I, th- if I thought I could do that, I would absolutely do it. But every time I go and look at that thing, I go, well, what's it associated with? And the people that I'm trying to win to Jesus Christ, what will they say? Oh, you shouldn't care if people say, uh, according to the Bible, you should. When it comes to your testimony, you absolutely should. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look, if you would, at verse number. Now, if I were a preacher that wanted to build a big church, I would never teach on this subject. Do I want to have big, do I want to reach more people? Absolutely. But if I was trying to cut corners, I'd leave this subject alone. You know why? Because I know that there's plenty of people that kind of go, well, you're just kind of old-fashioned. I don't know about that. Again, is the Bible the final authority or not? Yeah. Ephesians 5, look at verse number 18. Now you go, well, it says drunk. Yeah, it does, but, but watch the contrast. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Now, here, here is where the debate lies. And I'm going to give you a little grammar lesson that I think makes more sense as to how this should be read. All right? Excess. Be not drunk. You go, well, the excess is being drunk. Grammatically, that makes no sense at all. Anyone who knows grammar knows what I'm saying is right. English rules, this makes no sense. The excess is in the noun itself, not in the action. Because the excess, it, the old Japanese proverb, and some guys that I know have probably heard a million times, that man take drink, drink take drink, drink take man. Once you start, man, what... Here's my question, and look, whether you call it a sin or not, I'll leave that between you and God, but let me ask you this. When you start doing that, why'd you start? Well, everyone's doing it. It's a social thing. Well, that wasn't the right motive as a Christian. You should do it because it's, it's pleasing in the sight of God. All right, if it's pleasing in the sight of God, go ahead, hammer down. And when you start hammering down and you start losing control of your faculties, ask yourself this question. Is this a picture of me being filled with the Spirit of God or being filled with something else? Let me ask you another question. Why is it when you go by a liquor store, they call it wine and Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? All right, so the excess is in the wine itself. Well, you know, preacher, I just like to have a little glass before. Look, that's between you and God. I'm not going to, I'm not saying, any, I'm just, I'm just going to teach it like it is. And, and, and the, the problem is once you start going down that road, the, the, there's no way to stop it. You know, I can put it down. Well, then let me ask you this. Why is it that so many people don't? And, and let me ask you this, if your job as a Christian is to edify other believers, and you know that there's someone in your church that really struggles with that, and you have them over for a meal, and you go, I've got liberty in Christ, and you hammer down, and you go, I'm not getting drunk, I'm just drinking a little bit, you don't, don't, you don't have to, but I will. The Bible says, anything that would be a stumbling block to your brother, you shouldn't do. First Corinthians chapter 10. So, let me, I'll throw it to you this way. If I knew that somebody had a problem, somebody was addicted to gambling, I wouldn't have them over to play poker. Is poker with no gambling, if there's no money being exchanged, there's technically nothing wrong with it. Technically, there's nothing wrong with that. You're just playing a card game. But when that person gets back into that setting and they're sitting down with you and they're going five cards up and in their mind, their mind's racing and before they know it, they're going, I got to get back to the casino. I got to get back to Blackhawk. I miss it. I need it. I, do you understand what I'm saying? So you have to think at some point, I don't, this kind of a hard uh, principle, it's not all about you. It's about Jesus Christ and about others. The old acronym is this. If you want to have joy in your life, you know what it is? Jesus, others, and you know who's last? You. 
You know why a lot of people aren't happy? Because they're, they're living a yodge life, all right? It's, it's like, it's me first, right? Or maj, whatever, me, others, Jesus. And, and listen, that's not how you be living your life. Uh, the Bible says there's this contrast between being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, you have more control of your faculties. Being filled with the Spirit will do this. When you get in an argument with your spouse, and I know nobody ever does that here at all, because you guys are saved and you never have arguments with your spouse once you're saved. But when you get in an argument with your spouse and they say something and you want to respond, the Spirit of God goes, you're in the flesh, let's stop right here. Is that more control or less control of yourself? So when you're filled with the Spirit, you have more control of your faculties, not less. The exact opposite, the illustration God gives to being filled with the Spirit is drinking. Do you see the, the, the problem? All right, uh, let's go back to some math, though. Let's go back to John chapter 2, and let's read some things here. All right, John chapter number 2. John chapter 2. And they answered him not a word. Amen. John chapter 2, look, if you would, at uh, verse number 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone. And it says that in those water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. So basically it's telling you it's filled with water. We're going to learn about how much water it was. But when it says the purifying, the manner of the purifying of the Jews, what that's talking about is they had rituals for cleansing. You can read about that in Leviticus 16 and Numbers chapter 19. They had different rituals for cleansing, and they involved water. Now, let me ask you a question. Why don't we have that today? But we say we're in the New Testament. Yeah, but let's go a little bit deeper. Why don't we do that in the New Testament? Well, here's why. In the Old Testament, even if you were a believer as an Old Testament Jew under the law, following God did not separate the old nature, the flesh, from the soul. They were still one and the same. And so when you did the rituals and the, the cleansing rituals, it was a sign of not just uh, uh, cleansing the outside, but also the soul. You're a born-again child of God. If you're saved, say amen, all right? If that's you. You know what you are? You're a born-again, child, New Testament, born-again Christian, which means this. The moment you got saved, I, I remember talking to Julian about this. The moment you got saved, God separated your soul from your flesh so that now you still sin in the flesh, but it no longer, thank God, touches the part of you that's eternal. That's a blessing. But back then, it wasn't that way. And so they have these cleansing rituals. And so Jesus is just saying they had all this water around for that reason. Well, one firkin is about eight and a half gallons. Eight and a half gallons times two and a half, uh, uh, let's say, uh, 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 two or three firkins a, a piece, if you will, in the water pots. So let's just call it two and a half. Eight and a half gallons times two and a half of those is 20 gallons. 20 gallons times six water pots, 120 gallons of hooch, man. That's enough to get, like, the city of Aurora drunk, man. Like, what, why would Jesus do that if that's what that was? You would literally have to have thousands of people at a wedding for any of that to even remotely, closely make sense. Now, look at Habakkuk chapter number two, if you think I'm exaggerating. Look at Habakkuk chapter two. Habakkuk chapter number two. Look, if you would, at verse number 15. Now, if Jesus was turning this into old wine, you obviously know what that would lead to. At a wedding, <laughs> right? Um, with that much available. Do you think Jesus was going to walk around going, only one cup for you, <laughs> only one cup, only one No, he wasn't going to do that. So do you think he would open the door to everyone getting hammered? Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, look at verse 15. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. You know what he says? Woe unto anyone that would do that. Right. So you're going to tell me the sinless son of God is like, all right, let's party. <laughs> all right, we're going to turn this thing up. We're going to turn it up a notch. No. As a matter of fact, when you read the rest of the chapter, there's nothing mentioned about that. Uh, if, if this was true, look at Matthew chapter number 11. Look at Matthew 11. You know one of the accusations that the Pharisees had against Jesus Christ? That he got people drunk. Mm -mm. Was it a true one or not? 
Well, if we follow some people's traditions, it would be. That is real quiet right now. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Look, if you would, at verse number 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous, and a what? A friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Look, if Jesus did actually do this, they would have been right in their accusation. They were wrong. It was a false accusation. He didn't get people into a place where they would get themselves drunk. Let let me ask you a question. Why do you suppose it is that when you go to a a bar or a club or anything like that, the lights are turned down low? Do you ever notice that? Kind of gets you in a different environment. Why do you need the, why don't you turn the lights on, like real bright? I'll tell you what, go to, here's what we're going to do. I want to, I'm going to pay, I would love to like get 10,000 bucks, Joe, and go to talk to some bar owner and go, look, just give me one night and let me do it my way. Can we do that? You can still serve alcohol as much as you want, but we're going to turn all the lights on and we're going to blare Christian hymns at the top of our lungs. It would kill the mood. It would kill the mood. There's something about the mood that goes with the action. That's why they set the thing that way. All right. What, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is this. This is associated, old wine is associated with the old life, with tainted blood, with, with if you will, the leaven of sin. New wine is called the pure blood of the grape for a reason. And, and so as believers, listen, I'd have a hard time going through this passage of Scripture and doing the math and, fig- and believing that Jesus Christ did this and, and the sinless Son of God opened the door for people to get drunk. I, I do. You go, well, well, food is that way. You could just eat too much food. Y- yeah, that, that's, that's true, but can I say this? I don't lose control of myself when I eat a sandwich. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You can't make it exactly the same thing. You understand that, all right? I, I mean, that might happen if I ate a donut because I don't eat those things, but, but y- you understand what I'm saying. It, it's, you can't make that parallel. There's something about the wine itself, the nature of it, that, that it itself is the excess. And once you open that door, it is very challenging to close. But if you go to the next slide, th- by the way, there's only one fruit in the Bible, one, that certain people of Israel were forbidden to eat. Did you know that? I'm not saying grapes are bad, but this is how far God went with this principle with certain groups of people. The Nazarites weren't allowed to eat any grapes. You read about that in number six, Judges 9. All right, let, let me ask you this. Uh, could it have been a grape in the garden? Some people, I, I don't know, it's, they always have a picture of an apple, right? I'm like, man, leave the apples alone. Those are so good. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, but, but, but all joking aside, um, the, 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 the grape, could it have been a grape in the Garden of Eden? I think it could have been because there's only, one book, there's only one fruit in the Bible that God ever forbids any group of people to eat. I'm not saying you can eat grapes. That's not the point. But he went so far with that because there were certain callings to certain people like the Nazarites where he would say, look, I want you going so far, it doesn't ever even look like you're doing the wrong thing. You see the principle there? Yeah. All right. And so he said, hey, no grapes for you. And some people say, well, a, a, a grape grows on a vine. Well, let's look at Numbers chapter number six. Let's look at Numbers chapter six. It does. It does. But let's look at the, the wording that God uses for what grapes grow on. Look at Numbers chapter six, which is why I'm saying it could have been. Um, I'm not going to dogmatically say it's what it was, but I think there's something to it. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. Look, if you would, at verse number 4. Uh, go back to verse number 1. And speaking of the children of Israel and saying to them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. It's, it's clear what he's talking about there. And shall drink no vinegar of wine, or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. No, no, not even any raisins. I mean, poor Nazarites, they couldn't have any raisins. Verse 4, all the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the what? Interesting terminology. Look at Judges chapter number 9. Judges chapter number 9. Judges chapter 9. Judges 9. And then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 here in just a moment. Judges chapter number 9. Look, if you would, at verse number 12. Running out of time here. Then said the trees, uh, verse 12, sorry. Judges 9, verse 12. Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. 
And the vine said to them, should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the what? So he's talking about it's a parable here, but the point is the vine's referred to as a what? As a tree. So when you read about this thing that's in the middle of the garden and in the midst of the garden and God tells him don't eat it, uh, I'm not going to say it dogmatically is a grape tree, but I wonder if it was. Because the closest thing I can find in the Bible to anything that parallels between God's blood, perfect, sinless, pure, and man's is this. All right? Um, look, if you would, well, I'll tell you what. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and while you do that, let me just remind you, there's, there's under every covenant, before the law, during the law, and even in the New Testament church, that we are commanded to not drink blood. Did you know that? All right, that's a commandment from God, don't drink blood. Now, again, it's interesting that under every covenant, God makes that a thing. And there's a connection, and I'm not going to say I have it all figured out, between you know, the, 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 the blood of the grape and the blood of man. Uh, which is why I believe there's a good chance in, the, in Genesis chapter 3 that that's exactly what tree it was. It was the, a, a grape tree, a grape vine tree, if you will. First Corinthians chapter 10, let's close with this thought. First Corinthians chapter 10. And if nothing else, if, if this, after going through all these verses, you're still kind of like, well, I don't know, I don't see the big deal. Can, can, I, can I show you just a couple principles to consider from First Corinthians 10? Look at verse 23. All things are lawful for me. I could drink, and I'm not going to go to hell. I'm a born-again Christian. I cannot lose my salvation. Thank God for that. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not what? All things are lawful for me, but all things what? Edify not. So, so just because I can do something doesn't mean it's going to edify the body of Christ. Let me ask you this. How would me doing that, because I have the liberty to do it, how would that edify you as a born-again Christian? Well, it wouldn't affect me at all. Let's say at best it isn't a stumbling block. Let me ask you this. How does it edify you? These are the things you have to think about as you grow in the Lord. Look at verse 24. Let no man seek his own. In other words, quit thinking about you. <laughs> Think about how you're living your life affects other people. All right, look at verse 29. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. In other words, you've got to consider somebody else's conscience. Look at verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if you can leave with a good conscience and go, okay, Lord, I'm drinking this as unto you, go for it. I can't and I will not. Amen. So we'll stop there. I, I, I hope I was able to make the case that it'd be really hard to teach from the Bible that what Jesus did was turn something into old wine. All right, let's all stand. We'll look at a couple more verses on that uh, next, uh, next week. Let's all stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Thanks for being here this morning. Father, we thank you for the word of God, and Lord, I thank you for that it sheds light on things. There are some things that we, didn't, uh, we don't always understand, some things that we don't always like, but God, ultimately, we want to walk closer with you. Lord, uh, we, we want, at, le at least here at our church, we want to be able to look at the things that are controversial and have you redirect our minds and redirect our paths and redirect our actions. And Lord, I pray that you would give grace to your people to do right by what you're showing us from your word. We love you, and we ask for your blessing on the next hour. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We'll take a break there. Leonard, Leonard, Leonard.